to make a little plug. We've got baby dedication next Sunday, and so Elliot's going to be a part of that. So number one, don't miss it, because you'll see her live here next week, I think. Um, and then number two, um, it will uh, join us. Uh, if you have a child that you would like to have dedicated next Sunday, then come and join us in that dedication. Just use your Connect card to sign up for that. Um, and the, the child dedication is simply stating that I want my child to grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and that we as a church family are surrounding you to help make that possible. Uh, that you need help to do that, and we're a church family that will help you in doing that. So with that, uh, John 10, verses 1 through 10. Jesus says, I am the door. And as I was studying this in the last week, I, I really thought, really, Jesus, a door? A door? I mean, I get when you say that you are the resurrection and the life. Like, that's pretty powerful because resurrection is not possible without Jesus and his resurrection and the life that he provides. He is the resurrection and the life. I get it. He says, I am the bread of life. Meaning that in Jesus, we have sustenance. That he gives us a bread that will satisfy us. Anytime we eat any other food or any other bread, we get hungry again. But Jesus satisfies our deepest spiritual longings. So he gives us bread that gives us eternal life in him. I get that. But the door. The door. Now I started thinking about this as it relates to, to my household. And I have a home with a front door. And I have... As a father, the responsibility to care for my household. So I have my wife and my beautiful kids that I have the responsibility to care for. And my, my girls, in particular, when I think about them, they are six and eight. And one day they're going to be 16 and 18. And one day some little punk is going to come knocking, right? Now here's the deal. If he's in my house and he doesn't come through the front door, that man is a thief and a robber. And he has no place in my household, right? If he comes to the front door, I'm going to say, wait until they're 26 and 28. But if he comes in through the window or the back door, like, no way. You are never, ever to be around my girls again because I'm the door. Nobody comes through there but through me. Because I love my girls. Now they might come with their sweet talk. But it's false. Because I was a punk at one time too. <laughs> and I get it. They might come trying to sway them. But their motivations will be highly questionable. And for me as a father. And the shepherd to these girls. Their pastor. Pastor dad. There's a door, and I'm the door, and I'm responsible for them. Jesus is the door. In him, you find his care, his provision, his protection, and his love. And in this passage, there's really only two things that we're going to talk about today. One is you have the warning that comes to those who refuse his care. And two, you have the assurance of those who come under his care and seek to go through Jesus 
as the door. Verse 10 of John 10, we're going to start there and we're going to work our way backwards. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I came, says Jesus, that they may have life and have it abundantly. So there's a warning, and that is that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So there's a motivation there. The thief comes to take what is not his. And then the Christ, the Savior, comes with the motivation only to give, that you might have life and have it in surplus, have it in abundance, that it would come as a wellspring to you, and it would never fade. And so the backdrop of this passage comes against a story. Literally, what we just read is a parable. And the parable is meant to tell the audience that was there a deeper meaning of what just had taken place. And the story that had taken place is that Jesus had healed a blind man that was blind since birth. Uh, A man who was without hope of restoring sight, who was in the religious Jewish community, and Jesus saw that this man needed human eyes, and he gave him those eyes. And now you would think that after this healing that took place, there would be rejoicing, right? I mean, this man who is blind since birth would be rejoicing. There would be celebration. People would be going ecstatic. That they would be telling stories and it would spread forever. That this would be something that the community around them would come around and say, Oh my goodness, one of our own. The man who we saw day in and day out, who never had sight. Jesus came, Jesus healed him, and Jesus gave him sight. Well, that was this, what this man was saying But the community around him didn't accept it. There were the religious leaders of their time who would you think, finally, finally, proof that Jesus is God. Finally, this is proof that he is the miracle maker because of the miracles that he is displaying. And so they bring this blind man to the religious leaders and they tell the story of what had just taken place And the blind man, in fact, validates what Jesus had done. I was blind, now I see, and Jesus made it happen. And the Pharisees, the Pharisees don't receive it. They don't accept it. In fact, they reject it on the basis of a technicality. The technicality was, well, the healing happened on the Sabbath day. That... Healing wasn't validated. This man can't be from God. If he was from God, how could he heal on the Sabbath day, the day that's holy and unto God? There's no work to be done on the Sabbath. Jesus says, while there's light, I'm working. And if this man is who he says he is, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who the Old Testament says to look out for, because he's coming... If he is who he says he is, couldn't Jesus come not to abolish the law of the Sabbath, 
but to, to fulfill it by bringing the Sabbath rest into the community by restoring this man's sight, by causing the lame to walk, the blind to see, the sick to be healed, the captives set free. Wouldn't this be a fulfillment of that commandment? But they couldn't see it this way. They believed Jesus to be a threat. He was a threat to their well-being. He was a threat to their established priorities. See, these Pharisees used the law, the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, as a way of oppression versus freedom. When the command to rest in God on the seventh day, because God has made all things good, was meant to give freedom. But they used it to keep people under their thumbs while Jesus came on the Sabbath and set them free on the Sabbath as a way to honor and glorify God, his Father. And so what Jesus is saying in this passage as these men are claiming to be the door, they're claiming to be the, 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 the way in and the way out. And if you want to come in, you have to come through me. You've got to obey these religious requirements. You've got to keep me You've got to do what I say according to my standards. They were men who used the rigorous law to show that they were worthy. And if you weren't worthy according to their standards, or if you got in their way, they would make sure that you were outside of the community. And to be outside of the religious community, or put out of the religious community, would be to be out of a way of life. A place of provision and care that that community had established. And that's what indeed happens to a man who was blind that received sight. No love and compassion. No celebration. They excommunicated that man because they said, we're the door and you come proclaiming Jesus and you come with his testimony. And because of that, You're no longer useful to us. You are more useful as a blind man than a man who had sight. Than a man who has sight. And so you're out. It's interesting the exchange that goes on with this man. Because at one point the Pharisees don't believe that the man was actually blind from birth. The man that they've seen, they say, is he re- was he really blind from birth? And so they get a, a, a panel together and they say, hey, bring in his parents. And so his parents come and they say to his parents, okay, was he blind from birth? And they say, yes. And they say, well, what happened? How did he now receive sight? But his parents are afraid that they're going to suffer excommunication. So his parents say, he's old enough to answer for himself, so ask him. And then they ask him and they say, okay, again, second time, third time. How did you receive sight? Are you willing to testify of this person, Jesus? And if you are, great harm will come to you. And the man says in verse 32 of chapter 9, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he can do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and, would you, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. That somehow this man knew more than them was unfathomable about the grace and mercy and goodness of God. About the person 
of Jesus Christ. And they cast him out. I love this next verse in verse 35. Then Jesus heard that they'd cast him out. And having found him. I love that. So the man is put out of his community. And Jesus heard he's been cast out. And so what does Jesus do? He goes and finds him. Like a shepherd going after his sheep. And he says to this man, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered. Or he said to this man, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered. And who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? Jesus said, you've seen him. And it is him who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Do you believe in the Son of God? That's the question that the I am statements present to us. Jesus says, I am who I say I am. Do you believe it? That's the question each and every week. We asked it in the beginning with the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection in your life, not just in the past, not in the future, but your life right now, that you have him as your resurrection hope? Do you believe that he is the bread that sustains you, that can only fill your deepest longings? Do you believe that he is the light of the world, exposing all darkness, but yet bringing the truth of God to bear on a dark and broken world? Do you believe that? And do you believe that he is the door? Because the Bible clearly says that there's one door. There's not multiple ways that lead to God. There's not this way or this way. There's no options to this. There's one way, and that one way is Jesus. Do you believe in that one way, Jesus Christ, that door? Do you believe it? That's the question that we're asking in this. Do you believe? And then Jesus tells this parable. And the parable is meant to give us a glimpse of reality, because that's what Jesus is after. He's after truth. He's after reality. Like, you're here today because you're, you're wanting reality. You want something that you could firmly put your feet on. You don't want hypotheticals. You want that which is real. And you want the truth. And that's what Jesus makes plain to us. He uses a parable to make a bridge between man and God. It's a bridge that takes us from our world to the world of God. The world that can be a world that is filled with voices that would lead us astray. And it's the voice that comes from God the Father to bring us to the truth. That's really what Jesus was. He was a parable. He was a bridge from man to God. And that's what this story is. It's a bridge from what we know to what we don't. So it could reveal to us the unknown truth that now we can have known to us through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And that is what Jesus seeks to do in this passage. In this, he says, in fact, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. I tell you the truth, says Jesus. I tell you the truth. If somebody comes in and they jump the fence... They're a thief and a robber. If somebody comes in in any other way but through me, that man is a thief and a robber. The warning is against the false religious teachers of Jesus' day and the false religious teachers who would come after. In verse 8 of chapter 10, or in verse 8 of chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. And anyone who enters 
by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pastures. That's verse 9. Sorry about that. And he says, all who came before me in verse 8 are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to him. Who's Jesus talking about? The thieves and the robbers that Jesus is talking about. He's, He's talking about the religious leaders there, the Pharisees. Those who are falsely proclaiming that they hold the keys to the door. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. They're thieves and robbers. Their motivations are maligned. And the warning is for those who would follow the evil religious leaders that would point not people to Christ, the door, but say there's another door by which you must enter. And that's the warning that Jesus makes clear here in John 10. False teachers are hard to spot because they don't have a sign over their neck with a cardboard on Sharpie marker saying, I am a false teacher. In fact, false teachers are false teachers, but they don't even know it in many cases. They don't even realize it. Why? Because they're blind. Jesus calls them blind guides. And so they really believe that they are motivated in a genuine way, but their motivation actually points not people to Christ, but away from Christ. And I think that's something that needs to be looked at as it relates to false teachers. Because false teachers lead people astray. In fact, if this man would have stayed in the community under their care, provision, and protection of the Jewish elite of that time, this man would have been in the care of false teachers and he would have suffered the same fate. But yet he was cast out. And he was cast out, but he was brought in. And he was brought into the care and protection of Jesus Christ. False teachers use the Bible and they use God talk to steal, to kill, and destroy. That's why it's so deceptive because they use the language of the Bible. They use the language of God in order to steal people away from God. In order to steal sheep from the flock of God. And so it's really important that we understand the voice of the shepherd so that we can understand when false teachers speak and flee from them. I want to give you three ways as a way of acknowledging or understanding who a false teacher is. Number one is a false teacher teaches contrary to sound doctrine. They teach contrary to sound doctrine. So... There is a doctrinal understanding that false teachers have, but it's not sound. For example, Satan tried to teach Jesus something and said, if you just bow down and worship me, and he used the word of God to state this to Jesus. Jesus' temptations, if you just eat this bread that I have to offer you, and Jesus refutes him with the word of God, with sound doctrine. But the false teachers will use the Bible as a means to persuade and sway and move us in a different direction, just as Satan did to Jesus Christ. And if Satan's going to do that to Jesus, you better believe that he'll do it to us. And so knowing and believing and following sound doctrine is incredibly important. What is sound doctrine? It's simply the right teachings of the Scriptures handed down throughout all generations. There's there's been 2,000 years of the Bible. There's nothing new under the sun. 
And so when somebody comes to you and say, says, hey, I, I've got something that's been revealed to me that hasn't been known before from the Bible, well, I would think that that's an antenna up that says, oh, okay, I don't know. Maybe I should flee right now. Maybe I should run from this because this may be some, a thief that seeks to steal and kill and destroy. Because the Bible is that which reveals to us the ancient truths for all people and all times. It's been established. There have been people that have walked through this. The false teachers will, will take the Bible and place it under other teachings of the day and time. For example, on human sexuality, they'll say, we need to understand the Bible basis, on the basis of what we learn about human sexuality from the culture today. But no, no. Sound doctrine says we're going to learn, we're going to interpret everything that we learn through the lens of the scriptures. And so we're not going to bring correction to the Bible, but the Bible brings correction to everything else. And that is sound doctrine, sound teaching. And the sheep of God flee false prophets, false teachers. Number two, they have a low view of sin and judgment. They have a low view of sin and judgment. Their views of sin and judgment typically lies within two categories. Number one, sin is not that big of a deal. In fact, sin, they don't really even call sin, sin. Some would say that, 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 that no, sin isn't sin, and, and, and it doesn't, it, the problem's not, not within us. The problem is, is that we have yet to experience how well equipped we are, or how, how amazing we are to experience the world today. That's we're being held back, and I'm going to tell you what's going to make you fully realize yourself so that you can come into your own. And so, rather than preaching sin, they tickle our ears to make us happy, and they make us feel good about ourselves. But the, the Bible comes like a sword, piercing joy and marrow, so it does bring conviction. It does bring pain. And so the false teachings that seek to, to, to assure us in our sin instead of forsake and leave our sin is one that we should wholeheartedly reject. If your sin is not that big of a deal, then what Jesus Christ did was not that big of a deal. It minimizes the cross. It shrinks the cross. On the other flip, flip side of that, there are those who minimize sin and judgment by saying, you've got a sin problem. You've got to fix it yourself. And here's your self-help book. Follow these commandments and do it perfectly. And if you don't, then you won't find righteousness. Or if you don't do it as good as me, or if you don't do it the way I tell you to. And so they seek to use the commands in order to manipulate and justify their behavior, which is really one that's meant to keep people in oppression, self-motivated. It's the legalists that we see in the Pharisees. The Pharisees were those who sought to say that there was a sin problem, but that sin problem can only be fixed by this prescribed religious requirements. But the, the commands of the Bible don't save us. The commands of the Bible just tell us that we need to be saved. And so the gospel is the only anecdote. That yes, you are so bad that you have to die. But Jesus so loves you that he gladly died in your place. And if there's an absence of that message, then that teacher is a false teacher and should be rejected. 
The third is the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Maybe you've heard of this. It's one of the most appealing ways that the false gospel can creep into the church today is that that God is all about your comfort and your well-being and you having the good life, so to speak. And the health, wealth, prosperity gospel seeks to elevate the gifts over the giver. And any gospel that celebrates or elevates the gifts of the giver is not a gospel. Saying that if you just do this, God will do that. If you give $10, God will give you 1000 If you uh, If you live in accordance with this way, it, it, it motivates your actions that say that you are entitled to what God has. So if you do these things, God is entitled to give you these things. And it puts you in the control seat versus God. And we like that, so we listen to that. Oh, if I can be in control and I can move God in my favor by what I do, and if God can owe me rather than me owe him, then that sounds good. But that's not the truth. The truth says, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. And so God, the giver, is the one that we worship. And so we reject teachings that would say anything else. If it is, if the teaching has an absence of self-denial, meaning if the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that you are hearing or that you've heard, oftentimes, I would say all times, doesn't promote self-denial, denying yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. It's a teaching without suffering. It's a teaching without serving. It's a teaching without pain. But yet if you look at Jesus, you look at serving. The serving Savior. The suffering Savior. And the Savior who endured pain on our behalf. There was a woman who I met some years ago who came into the church. And she said as she was leaving that she hadn't been into church for eight years. She was in tears as she left. God had done something that miraculously stirred her heart towards him. And she said, I hadn't been to church in eight years. And so that week she asked if she could connect with me. And, and so I, I met with her for counsel and care. And, um, and so as I met with her, I, I started to hear her story. And I asked her, how come you haven't been to the church for eight years? And then she began to tell me about an experience that she had that was absolutely heartbreaking. Where she had married a man. And when she married him, thought he was... A godly man. He knew the Bible front and back. He was in seminary. But she said that he used the Bible in order to justify his abuse of her. And if I told you the stories of the abuse that she suffered under this man that she called her husband, you would cry. You would weep. And this man took the Bible, the Word of God, and manipulated it towards his own advantage. This is the false teacher. And this is the consequences of following the false teacher. And she, by the grace of God, found her way out of that marriage. And Jesus heard that she had not followed this man, and he found her, and he brought her into his fold. This woman's life was changed 
by the power of the gospel that day. And Jesus opened her eyes. And she said to me, I thought for so long God didn't love me. I thought for so long that I did something that would... That, that I, I, there, there's something that I did to deserve what happened because of this man. But she realized that the grace of Jesus Christ was one that covered even the deepest wounds that this man who was her husband and a false teacher had caused. See, the church is the place for the wounded, for the broken, for those who have suffered under the false teachers. Even for those who may have not been blatantly teaching falsely, but living falsely. Those who would say one thing on Sunday and live a completely different way on Monday. And then we would realize it and our hearts would break because this is a person, this is a man that I trusted to my care and leadership. It's happened in this city. It's happened in cities all around our nation. It's happened all around the world. This is why you pray for your pastors. This is why you look for the sincerity and truth in your pastors. I tell you that, friends. Look for it in me. See it in us. Because it's so important that we follow the scriptures, that we believe that which we preach. Nancy, right over here, asked me how she can pray for me almost every Sunday. And I say to Nancy, I say, Nancy, pray that I would believe what I preach. Pray that I believe what I preach. Because you know why? If I believe it, I'll live it out. If I don't believe it, I won't. And this is the assurances that come through Jesus' comfort and care. Is that if you believe that he is the son of man, then you will live out a life of freedom under his care and provision. This is the assurances that Jesus Christ provides. In John 10, 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. And the assurance is, is that if you enter through him, you will be saved. There is one door for salvation, and that one door is Jesus Christ. And if you go through that door, Jesus, you will be saved. You will be saved, meaning that the shepherd will lead you. And how does the shepherd lead you? He leads you to the places that you could never go alone. He leads you to the places and the things that you could never do alone, namely your salvation. And he leads you by going to the slaughter for you. This is what your good shepherd does for you. He dies the death that you deserve. Now, no false teacher will do that. No false teacher will be able to do that. They're all motivated to take and take and take what's not there. Remember, Jesus came to give. What did Jesus have to do? What, is, what do you have to offer Jesus that Jesus does, would take from you? No, only, the only thing Jesus does is give, give, give. And he gives by leading us to the cross. Where he dies the death that you deserve. To give you life and life in abundance. Now if you were there at the cross on that day when Jesus was crucified. You would weep. Because what happened to Jesus was so, so horrific. 
And if you were there seeing the slaughter of the sinless, spotless lamb, you would realize how the good shepherd has led us. The door that brings us to God becomes open. And it comes open through the blood-stained cross. Many churches have their doors on the outside painted red, and it's an Anglican tradition. And the Anglican tradition is one that says the reason why those doors are painted red is so that when you go in those doors, you know that you go in those doors because the blood of Christ has been spilt for you. You come into the pasture, the flock of God, because the blood of Christ has been spilt for you. That's the only way we come in here today. That's the only way we have access to God. Because we go through those red doors, those blood-stained doors. Because Jesus Christ's blood was spilt for us. And it shows us that that should have been my blood, but it's not. And so we're grateful for for his sacrifice, for his atoning work for us on the cross that brings us salvation. You will be saved if you enter that door, which is Christ. Number two, you will also find freedom. You will be able to go in and out and find green pasture under the shepherd's leadership. You will have the freedom to experience this abundant life, this surplus life. That abundant life actually means life plus Life plus, like you get everything that life has to offer as God intended it in this person, Jesus Christ. Any other life is a life minus. But the abundant life is the life plus. And it's the life that only Jesus offers. Because we were made for him. And unless we worship him just like that blind man did, unless we follow after him just like that blind man did, then we will always be blind like the Pharisees and not have human eyes like the man who is blind from birth. Life plus. You will find green pasture. There will always be a place in the sheepfold for you under the leadership of the good shepherd. You have the assurance of his care. You know, there's, there's many dads who would say that they're good dads, and I, I've been through many times of counseling between husbands and wives where a a husband would say that I'm a good husband and father because I provide and I protect my for I provide for and I protect my family and I would ask him well do you love them it's one thing to provide for your family and to protect your family and check the box but are you present with them you know the care that Jesus provide isn't just simply our provision and protection, meeting our daily needs, keeping us away from evil, those things he does, and he does really well. But this is the most powerful thing of the care of Jesus when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that he's always with you. And the reason why we can have freedom to go to and from that pasture is because Jesus' presence is with us. And my kids need much more than me just putting meals on their table and locking the doors at night and making sure they stay safe. Because there's many kids who push eject on their dads who do that over time. But what my kids really need from their father is his presence. My present reality to say that I'm always, always with you. 
And that's the promise of Jesus' care. The care of the good shepherd that leads us. Do you know his voice? We're going to ask that next week. Do you know his voice? And have you responded to it? And today might be the day where you respond to that voice. And the voice comes to us the same way it came to the blind man. He finds us out. He brings us in. And he says, do you believe in me? Do you know that voice? Do you believe in him? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sin? He paid your penalty in full. Do you believe that he provides this abundant life through his resurrection and the eternal life that comes forever? Do you believe? He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Maybe you've been trying to go through different doors your whole life and you're just finding that there are thieves in those doors that steal, kill, and destroy. Go through the door of Jesus and you only have to try it one time. You go through that door one time in true belief and you find that Jesus says, come and have life in abundance. This is the promise of Psalm 23. And I want to close in reading this over us right now. The Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you believe that the Lord is my shepherd? Is your shepherd? Would you stand with me? We're going to put this passage on the screen. And I would ask that if you believe it, let's read it together. In confession of our faith in Jesus, who is the door that leads us to the good shepherd. Let's start. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.